where we get and where I get a lot of joy is being able to share with those that we love in our community, our raw cream, our raw dairy. We make Vietnamese yogurt and it's unseemingly unlimited. Like so long as the cows are making the milk, I'm free to give, you know, and I'm not calculating any of this. And because I just feel like what better gift can I give you than the gift of delicious, nourishing food. And I can give that to anybody at any time. And it's just, it's so fulfilling. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. Okay, let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Sophia Nguyen Ang, and she is a first-generation Vietnamese-American who left a successful career in growth marketing in Silicon Valley to start a five-acre permaculture farm in the Appalachian region of eastern Tennessee. A sought-after speaker, she has presented at Google headquarters, growth hackers, and the global SaaS stack tech conferences. Hopefully I'm saying that correct. Now she draws on her experience speaking on stage and her knowledge of food, farming, and health to present at homesteading conferences. She's also a Weston A. Price chapter leader and the founder of the website Sprinkle with Soil. With her husband, Tim, she raises grass-fed dairy cows, beef cattle, laying hens, broilers, ducks, sheep, goats, turkeys, and grows a variety of produce for her multi-generational family and local community. And her wonderful new book, which I was just looking through, is called The Nourishing Asian Kitchen, Nutrient-Dense Recipes for Health and Healing. Sophia, welcome to the show. Hey, Drew. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, yeah. It's a pleasure. Uh, And uh, I think people are really going to be fascinated. We've had People like Sally Fallon on the show and Dr. Natasha, and we we talk a lot about you know nutrient dense and Weston Price and but your book your book really does a a wonderful job making the recipes not only nutritious but delicious. But I wanted to just start by getting a little bit about your background because when I was reading about you, Sophia, it said that you originally planned to go to medical school, <laughs> and um, and did you go to you went to GW George Washington? I went to GW, yep, and uh, was part of the seven-year BAMD program, and so it's an accelerated program to get through and get your MD. Um, I was there. Okay. I finished up my four years, got my BA in biological sciences, and realized that in those first four years, I only had one nutrition class. And in our culture, you either go MD or bust. You can't go home. <laughs> you can't be a DO. You know, it really is truly, you know, in our culture, in our family, perhaps maybe that's unique. So um, then I went on and realized, you know, I really want to understand uh, much of the, as much as I do about health, uh, mental health was also very important, especially in our family. My, my, if you've read the book, uh, my dad has struggled with uh, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and uh, major depression, and uh, now just got recently diagnosed with dementia, 
But um, before I even knew that, I mean, when I was a little girl, I knew he struggled with depression a lot. And so I wanted to understand how your mind can have so much control over your physical health. And so I went on to get my master's in clinical psychology and uh, did marriage and family therapy. And I was planning on doing marriage and family therapy sometime. Uh, But my background, you know, it's my parents. I was born and raised in Silicon Valley. So I I say that I learned how to code before I learned how to cook. (laughs) And when it came back to, you know, spending all this time and and money and education, I needed to go back and um, start my career. And that's why I went back to the Bay Area, what I knew and used my biology, so my science and my psychology background to test um, for optimizing for the best experience for consumers, specifically for the software space. Okay. Okay, cool. The reason I bring that up is uh, I went to GW as well. And um, I I did. Yep. Yep. A few years ago, but um, I went there and, uh, but I just found it really interesting how you said, you know, that you only got one nutrition class, you know, it was interesting because years ago I made, I've made some documentaries on health and food and, and I did one a few years ago and I interviewed Dr. Mark Pettis, who he is a wonderful, wonderful, very progressive doctor. And he, He's been on my show and he, he used to have a great podcast. And, and when we were talking, he, he said, he's like, you know, he was the dean. I believe he was the dean of UMass Medical. And at one point during the conversation, he said, yeah, you know, the students, they get an hour of nutrition. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, you mean a week? And he's like, no, in, in four years or whatever, five years. And I couldn't even believe it. It was like, are, are you kidding me? An hour for the entire. So, I mean, that must have been a big shocking. Yeah, it's it's a huge shock. I grew up with my grandfather. So my parents are Vietnamese immigrants. They came to America in 1975 during the fall of Saigon and they didn't have anything but the clothes off their back. So they worked so many hours. I remember my mom working two full-time jobs and while she was working, I was with my grandfather a lot of the times and he was about a block or two away from our home. And I spent a lot of time with him in the garden. He would often say, which means eat to live, do not live to eat. So I grew up with this notion and this philosophy of food being medicine and really understanding, you know, the way that we were living, the way that we were eating, preparing to cooking and enjoying our food together, having our family meals together. Um, We had to eat that way because it was more economical but going on to medical school and, and or, you know, in pre-med at least and thinking about focusing on food and nutrition and that being our source of health first and medicine first, we weren't taught that in school. And I didn't want to continue down that path where it felt completely incongruent with what my philosophy was. Absolutely. And, okay. yeah. it, well, you know, so you mentioned your grandfather. So the influence of your family, I know, is huge because you talk about that in the book. And um, with your grandfather talking about yeah, eating to live um, and then also your mother. And, you know, you have these amazing recipes, but you mentioned how your mother was from the time you were little was cooking nose to tail before, as you say, it was even a thing. So maybe talk about your the, the impact of your mother on these amazing recipes and the book and the homestead and all that, the influence of your mother on you. Drew, such a good question. I've been trying to find this book when I discovered Nourishing Traditions, Weston A. Price, Sally Fallon, 12 years ago when my daughter was born. And if this book existed for the Asian cuisine, I would have been a huge proponent for it. Because 
one of the biggest struggles for me was that I didn't look like anybody else and nobody really ate this way before. And so the only person I could lean on to besides Sally Fallon through nourishing traditions was my mom who understood how to eat traditionally, how to prepare food traditionally. She, she, now she didn't understand the nutrition aspect of it. She came from the flavor and the taste because when she got married, one of the things that my grandfather, her father made her do was to take a culinary class or complete culinary school before she got married and had a family and could cook for her husband, right? So um, it's just interesting, the, the, the different culture dynamics in Vietnam then and, and now. But so when I started cleaning up our pantry, really just having her start from scratch, here are the clean ingredients that you can use, mom. How do we recreate these flavors together? The recipes are from mom. And this has been a dream of mine to write this cookbook for 10 years, at least all of the dishes I have thrifted for 10 years thinking one day I'll write this cookbook with mom. We'll finally get it all together. But over the last 10 years, we've been refining all the recipes. So by the time Chelsea Green had talked to me about potentially publishing this book with them, I had three months to write it, photos, everything, full manuscript. And it was still a huge push, but I couldn't have done it without mom and already working so closely with her over the last decade to capture these recipes. And all I had to do was finally put it together in a book and take beautiful photos because, as you know, I really believe that digestion begins with the eyes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned how this the book evolved and it wasn't, you know, a tradition like you really just, as you say, you were making it sort of a book for your home. And 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 then I guess you realized how it would impact and help other people. But maybe just, yeah, talk about the evolution of how the book got written. And Right. So it was slowly when I realized, I think it was during the time that I had my daughter, she, I thought we were healthy enough. We were already cooking from home, making our homemade food. But then I discovered Sally Fallon when I started looking into how to make applesauce. And, you know, as a first time mom, everybody hands you their hand-me-down books. And I wasn't getting any of the healthy books. I, it was a book from William Sonoma, I remember distinctly. And in there, it had a recipe on how to make applesauce. In our culture, we don't cook our fruit. I, it was a very, so just to show everyone out there, you could really start from scratch, just start from basics. And I didn't know how to make applesauce. I just knew that I didn't want to buy the brown, gray, green mush that they sold in the stores. If I couldn't eat it myself, how could I feed my daughter that? And I just, that was like, my philosophy. How could I give something that I'm to her that I'm not willing to put in my body? So let's just start from scratch and learn how to make applesauce. And in these books, they would say, make sure you try to source organic ingredients because the baby's body is not yet developed enough to process the toxic chemicals from pesticides and herbicides. And so for me, I thought, okay, fine. You know, I'm going to get a lot of slack from my parents, our culture from for even this is 12 years ago, right, to even go to Whole Foods. It's not uh, it wasn't as open in our demographic to go. And so I said, fine, I'll go to Whole Foods and buy organic apples. But at what point then, how old does my daughter need to be in order for me to introduce apples that are not organic? And that really opened up a can of worms. <laughs> Yeah. And you can see 12 years later, you know, that has really led us down this path of 
we really need to understand where our food comes from and what goes into it. So, but you know, from, from that, I started looking into our condiments, our sauces and condiments. The thing about Asian food, that's a little bit different from European, the recipes, mostly in nourishing traditions that I was following pretty much. That is the Bible of nutrition (laughs) that I like to refer to written by Sally Fallon that, you know, really the Asian flavors, what's most distinctive is the umami flavors, which is that fifth savory feeling and sensation in your tongue. And a lot of times you're going to get that from sauces. Um, And MSG is what we're starting to see now or what we've been seeing that's been introduced as a um, a flavor enhancer, but it's an, also an excitotoxin. And so although it tastes good, it also is damaging your gut and your brain health. And that was something that I wanted to just get back to traditional cooking. How do we cook this from scratch, from preparation? And so it started from sauces. And one by one, as I started doing an overhaul of our pantry, I took out a garbage bag and went through all of the sauces and condiments that mom would buy and thinking that we're still home cooking our food and thinking it was so healthy in there. I would see all sorts of preservatives and started throwing them one by one. And mom came running out and she said, what are you doing? What are we supposed to cook with? (laughs) And I told her, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. And so it's been a, it's been a journey for us to just figure out how to recreate our foods cooking from scratch. And I think that, you know, a lot of our health has been kind of adulterated by all the processed foods, all of our modern conveniences, which I was fully prescribed to coming from the Bay Area. In fact, you know, I made sure that before we even bought our home that we were in, we had a quarter acre in Walnut Creek in the Bay Area. And before we bought that home, I made sure that Whole Foods was delivering through Instacart back then, you know, just to have access to good quality food and and um, to go from there to where we are today. You know, it's just finding that balance of how much are we willing to pay for the cost of this convenience, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and really investing in our community, investing in our small farmers, our local farmers who are doing it right. Um, and getting to know them and and now to be in a position to talk about that and be an advocate for our small farmers. Absolutely. Because now you are a small farmer, right? I mean, you got you you and your family, you know, and, and I'm really curious, too, about because you because you, you mentioned how you were, you know, you were working in the Bay Area tech industry. And I got a sense of like you making this this huge shift to starting your own homestead. And I and I and I and I heard, you know, I read you talking about Joel Salatin, who we all saw in Food Inc. You mentioned your husband and how he had some health issues, some eczema. But what do you think was that that like really influenced and inspired you to make this like huge shift in lifestyle? Yeah. So I actually heard Joel Salatin speak in 2011 at Google headquarters. Um, It's also, you can find this clip on YouTube today, but I think that it started again back to when my daughter was born 12 years ago. And it's just been small seeds planted here and there. Joel Salatin, Sally Fallon really started to questioning, uh, question our food, um, our food system. Food Inc. too is incredible. But what the catalyst was for our family to make that shift from living this life of 
pure convenience, having our groceries delivered to us exactly at five. So after I finished my last call at, at, in my meetings, I would have food ready to moving to starting a farm. That was all the events that surrounded 2020. And uh, 2019, we started growing our food. Actually, 2017, Jeff Bezos, the, the founder of Amazon, bought Whole Foods. And that to me, even though we were eating Whole Foods, eating organic, my mom would say things like, I don't know if your organic food is truly organic because it just looks too good to be truly organic, like straight from the ground. And I was like, mom, if I can't trust Whole Foods, I don't know where else I'm supposed to go. <laughs> <laughs> and then the announcement came, Jeff Bezos bought Whole Foods in 2017. And it was like a big slap reality to say, oh my gosh, I think mom's right again. And I've got to figure out how to, who's doing it right. You know, we did not choose and my husband will say this, he didn't choose this lifestyle. We really felt like there was no choice but to truly understand because now I'm asking you know, questions. I found myself asking questions to our grass-fed, grass-finished um, beef cattle farmers, um, what they were spraying on their fields because they were saying, oh, yeah, of course, we're all grass-fed, grass-finished. We don't feed them corn or anything. So that's great. But then what are you spraying your fields and uh, we're just spraying Grazon, which is another form, arguably worse than Roundup and from Monsanto. So, you know, all these questions that at the end of the day, for me to feel comfortable, I've got to have my eyes on it. I, I, I at least know what my cows have been eating. I know where they've been every day. I know how many minerals, what type of minerals I'm giving them. I'm going, I'm giving them fermented alfalfa. You know, I'm focusing on their gut health. I'm focusing on our soil and uh, improving our soil biodiversity. It's, I've gone down too many <laughs> of these rabbit holes that yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, I've, you know, we really felt like we're, this is, this is where we want to invest our time, where we want to invest our resources. Um, and support the community. Cause I know that a lot of people we're in a food desert here in the Appalachian mountains, and there's not a lot of healthy food choices. Um, and so can we bring that here? We're already doing it ourselves, but can we provide that for our community? Um, we really want to see, we really want to see the people around us healthy. And, um, a lot of that is education. So this book has been, this cookbook is more than just a cookbook. Um, it is a way to, it is my activism coming out to really call out the things that the USDA and the FDA has allowed in our food labeling to make us feel that it's really just food marking, but to make us feel that this is safe and healthy for us when truly um, it has been adulterated and we just need to get back to um, the natural way of living and eating. Absolutely. How much, Sophia, how much of your food for you and your family is coming from your own farm? I mean, is it, is it like 90%? I mean, how, hundred, how, how, how would you uh, like quantify that? I'd say we're, we're at 90% for our protein. So all of our meat mostly is chicken, beef. Um, by this summer, we will be a hundred percent of our protein is from our farm. Um, I would say maybe 60% of our vegetables are coming from the farm and fruit is still pretty hard here in, in the mountains. So fruit is a bit of a challenge, 
Um, but we do order organically bulk whenever it comes and then we preserve it. But yeah, protein, most important for us, that is 100%. And then vegetables, I'd say about 60%. That's great. That's great. And so, you know, you mentioned in the book, you know, I, I feel like your your husband is sort of like a hero in the in the book because of how he how he really evolved. Like he he as you were saying in the book, you know, he loved his Doritos and his um, ice cream at night. Um, has he really embraced this? I mean, has he really like shifted his whole way of eating to around the farm? Yeah, I, those were like our first huge arguments that we would blow up in our first years of marriage was around food. Like I would just observe him and uh, I'm like, I don't think that's healthy for you, but he grew up as a second generation Asian American. So, you know, um, he grew up with lean cuisine, rice aroni. We, we actually have a podcast called Calda Farms and we talked for a whole hour on ice cream because it's such a huge part of his identity and his happiness. And I remember when I took that away from him, well, when we, when we <laughs> didn't eat, you know, two scoops of, of ice cream every night anymore, he really, I said, why don't you just try not doing that? And I remember the first response he said was, why are you taking away my happiness? <laughs> so much of his identity, oh, so oh. much of his joy. Like it's so, like, it's very interesting how much of our emotions and uh, our sentiments are tied to our food, mm. which is so powerful, the relationship with food that we have. Um, but yeah, it has been a huge shift, but I think the major, uh, that, that point, that aha moment for him was when we started, we ate once at this, uh, restaurant in Albuquerque, uh, Marcello's Chop House, which is no longer there anymore, but we tried for the first time grass-fed, grass-finished ribeye steak. And um, he came home that night and did not scratch in bed. You have to understand, when we were living in California, we first got married, he would be scratching in the middle of the night in his sleep. And I would wake up thinking, this is it. This is how we're going to die. It was like another major earthquake in California <laughs> until I realized it was him scratching. So then I like have to smack him, get him to stop, but didn't realize he was having inflammatory reactions, his eczema flare-ups, because we were still eating what we thought was healthy and delicious, which was USDA choice meat. And, um, when we made that switch over, he is not scratched at all. And it, and it started for me, I started to question if we're seeing that change in his body, I may not have, I may not suffer from eczema, but I'm sure it's going to have an effect on me by making this switch. So I think him just seeing that change in him, um, he used to have a lot of, um, um, heartburn, um, just gastro issues that as we started cleaning things up one by one and eating our ice cream from fresh, real dairy cream. And for him to taste that really took him to that. Okay. I think we're going to have to make this life change. And it, that, that did it for him. Mm. Do you make the ice cream now from from the raw milk? Um, we we just had we just had the raw milk farmer uh, Mark McAfee on the show uh, a couple of months ago, who I met and has that big, great great dairy operation out in California. Um, and Mark is incredible talking about it. But do you guys make the the ice cream from the raw cream or the raw milk? Yes, we do. We make it from the raw cream with um, our pasture raised 
raw egg yolks <laughs> with uh, the vanilla extract that we're making at home. <laughs> wow. Wow. I haven't tapped the maple syrup tree yet, but you know that, but it's just so nourishing. It's, it's a living food and it's, you can't, you can't buy it in the grocery stores. And that's what I'm telling him. Like, what do we do? We can't go back. <laughs> mm, mm. And we have it on tap now. <laughs> Is that right? You have it on tap. Wow. Well, I mean, we have an seemingly an unlimited supply of raw cream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's so the best. It, it's just great to be able to make this shift and live this lifestyle now where we can truly be givers. I mean, our income doesn't come from the homestead. Uh, you know, we, we do sell our extras, um, raw dairy, and that's really to just supplement the feed and, and things like that around the farm. But what, where we get and where I get a lot of joy is being able to share with those that we love in our community, our raw cream, our raw dairy, we make Vietnamese yogurt and it's unseemingly unlimited. Like so long as the cows are making the milk, I'm free to give, you know, and I'm not calculating any of this. And cause I just feel like what better gift can I give you than the gift of delicious, nourishing food. And I can give that to anybody at any time. And it's just, it's so fulfilling. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. The abundance, the abundance of, of nature. It's not like Right. It's not like a, a scarcity mindset or counting, you know, how much, but, but it's just, yeah, like you said, endless or seemingly endless. And, uh, you know, over the summer, I know I got into, when I was in California, I was doing this workshop with a group called School of Lunch and they're bringing this type of eating into schools. And they're amazing. If you haven't checked, if you haven't seen School of Lunch or heard of them, um, yeah. I did an interview with their founder, Hillary Boynton, and um, they're just doing amazing, amazing work. But but they provided, you know, the raw cream every morning and my coffee. I mean, it's the most decadent. It's the most decadent like dessert, like raw cream in your coffee or something like that. It's so good. Yeah. My <laughs> husband will drink just black coffee. I do 20 percent black coffee and 80 percent cream. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yep. The reason why I'm drinking coffee is really for the cream. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> so, I mean, making this huge this move to starting your own farmstead, I guess one question that I had is, you know, if someone is sort of thinking about making a big change, maybe wants to start a farm, maybe wants to just get some chickens or something in the backyard, what, what sort of words of wisdom would you tell them? Start where you're at. You know, we had a quarter acre in three chickens the day that California went into lockdown and it shut down. And I wish I had gotten started sooner because I wouldn't have paid the exorbitant amount of money that I paid at that time. The day that California locked down, we already, I had already identified where I wanted to buy my egg laying hens. All the grocery stores shut down. I'd never raised a chicken or chick before. We didn't even have a chicken coop, but there was this woman in Mill Valley. So North of San Francisco that sold egg laying hens. And I reached out to her and I said, can we buy three? So we drove out there and it was March 16, 2020. We have pictures from that day when we first bought our, our first egg laying hens and she charged us $300 per hen. How, how much, how much they, would they have been if you got it like a month earlier? <laughs> I mean, now I think you can buy an egg laying hen for $20. Is that right? Oh my God. Right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's the thing, you know, don't wait until, you know, until you feel like you're going to be ready at that point, we didn't feel that we were ready either. And we brought these 
these hens home in a cardboard box. We stuck them in our garage. And then by morning they were pecking their way out. And like, you know, we just weren't prepared for this, but had we prepared beforehand, um, you could do it. You could do a lot on a quarter acre. We, we had vegetables growing. We had the eggs, um, and we had enough to provide for our family and our neighbors. We had real estate clients. They were coming. We basically had farm tours during 2020 when everything was shut down. We said, come on over and harvest some vegetables. And they would bring bags and bags of groceries home. And I just, again, just felt so fulfilling. It was just this lifestyle so fulfilling. And, and it's addicting in a sense that what more can I add so that I can continue to give to others? And it was bringing on ruminants. So our sheep and our, and, and so you just have to start where you're at. You know, mm. if that means you're in a condo and I, I was still working full time. And as we were living this lifestyle, I had one-on-one -on -one meetings um, with one of my coworkers and she lived in a condo in Seattle. And I said, she ended up getting a, a planter box and started growing her first tomato and her carrots. And she sent pictures over. She still sends pictures over to me. And it's just so sweet to see, really, you can start there and you can start making your bread, start cooking from scratch, start making rice, you know, start making your bone broth. And, and you will see that it's one by one, you start taking back a little bit of, you know, control over your health, control over your food. And for me, at least, it was addicting to be able to go from there to then five acres. We brought on our ruminants. We brought on our goats and our sheep and brought on more ducks. We brought my husband brought in 100 ducks because he loves ducks. <laughs> <laughs> right. You, 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 he said they, he referred to them as his soldiers because they would follow him around. <laughs> Yes, they were imprinting because they they need a mama duck, right? And so they would just follow him wherever he went. They would oh. just see like a whole flock of ducks just follow him like soldiers. That's so funny. <laughs> and um and you know and so when we moved out here, we um you know had we just wanted enough to move our entire farm over. So that's five acres. But we just recently closed on another twenty two acres last month to wow. It's, it's a little crazy. All I know is, you know, I'm walking in faith and wanting to continue to provide great food for our community. Mm. And, uh, you know, we're, we'll be leasing out that that farm for our, our local farmers that they farm the way that we do and believe the same things. And so we're investing in, in them as well and um, really investing in the community. So it's, you know, but if you were to ask me, to go from three hens to jumping to 22 acres, there's no way I could have made that leap. So you have to start where you're at. Don't feel overwhelmed. Um, it is, it is, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of people out there, but you know, learn from those who have, who've done it and don't be afraid. I think, you know, my mom has this saying, um, Failure is the mother of success. I wish she told me this sooner. <laughs> um, growing up with her, she's you know always had a lot of a lot of that Asian pressure. But she just recently told me this because I was like, Mom, I feel like when I'm afraid to fail, like what if I do this and it doesn't work? And she she said, Failure is the mother of success. So you have to have a lot of this in order, a lot of failures where you learn in order to breed success. Beautiful. Beautiful. Love that. Failure is the mother of success. That's great. Um, so inspiring. And, and just start, like you said, starting where you're at. J just a couple of final questions. What are some of the daily practices, Sophia, that you have that keep you 
you know, feeling strong and grounded and feeling even alive. Yeah. I think it comes with the nature of having our homestead. We're out there, you know, right now we're covered in eight inches of snow and we're out there not doing cold plunges, but the, the, <laughs> the kids have said like, well, let's just do our cold plunge. Let's just go out there in our, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and, and they just love it, you know? So whether it's in the humidity at 90 degrees or a hundred degrees, or it is, you know, negative 18, we're out there every day and we're with our animals and that keeps us grounded. You know, we're out there in the sun. Um, we're, we're putting our hands in soil and those are the, the, this lifestyle just affords us the ability to find, uh, nourishment in our everyday without having to go to the gym like we used to, you know, where we've got bales of square bales of hay that we're bringing out to our cattle and our sheep right now. And, you know, that's a workout right. <laughs> where I'm carrying out five gallon buckets of water, both hands, you know, 20 gallons to, to make sure that we're giving enough water for our cattle and our chickens. And so, you know, it's just that the beauty of this life and seeing it as a full closed loop system from planting a seed to harvest um, to bringing it into the home and cooking that nourishing meal. Same thing with our chickens. When we raise them from chicks, um, hatch them from our eggs to having them, you know, harvesting them, bringing them into our home and then making bone broth and, and bringing them back out to the soil to make bone meal. It's just an incredible cycle to see. And this is kind of the concept that Joel was talking about 12 years ago when I found him, but I didn't understand this, the, the abundance. I didn't understand all of that until I live this lifestyle. So that's what keeps me grounded. Mm. Um, living in this, living this and, and doing it together as a family, I think is, is just so joyful. And then doing, bringing this for our community, whether it's offline in our local community and now online and talking about it and finding the people I'm getting so many messages from people that are inspired about wanting to live this lifestyle and, and they're thinking that it's possible. It's hard to go back to the life. It just becomes harder and harder to go back to the life that I was living behind the computer. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, you know, and, and I guess this, this is a final question here, but if you could go back in time, um, I mean, you kind of sort of already said this, but if you could go back in time, say 30 years or so, what words of wisdom would your current self share with your younger self? It's okay to be the black sheep. <laughs> I've I've often considered, you know, just raising a flock of black sheep because, you know, I've I've identified as one as a young age, at a young as a, you know, I've I've just always been unconventional in my way of thinking. Maybe it was because my grandfather raised me into thinking this way, um, and to not care. Something happened too when I hit 40 and not caring about what other people think anymore about you. Um, and it's okay. In fact, embrace it because <laughs> it will, you'll find your people when, when everybody's going down this one direction and you're going the, the, the opposite, you'll see others that are going the opposite direction. And those are the people that are going to be willing to help you out and helping each other out. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing once you understand that and and to embrace that freedom. Oh, love that.
Sophia, where can people go? So someone listening to this that wants to learn more about you, what you're up to, the book, where should they go to, to find more out about you? Yeah. So we have a blog and YouTube channel and Instagram. It's sprinkle with soil. And that's a play on words like sprinkle with salt at the end of a dish. But we talk about soil because it's important to us. So sprinkle with soil.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram. We also have a podcast called Call to Farms. Um, we're a military family. And that's just really my husband and I just talking late night at midnight and, and sharing like our thoughts <laughs> on how we answered the call to farms and how it's been like and documenting the journey. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you could listen to our podcast there or we we have um, our blog site that you can get recipes from and, and hear us talk about soil and, and all the things that we're up to. Beautiful. Sophia, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much, Drew, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.